I'm glad you're here this morning. God bless you. My wife's right. I do love the challenge. I, uh, we were coming back from uh, our place in uh, Angel Fire last week, and uh, my gas gauge said I had 19 miles to go before I ran out. You know, somehow I always think that thing's lying to me. And so uh, I thought at that point, at that juncture, I could go to Angel Fire, which was about 10 miles away, or I could go to Mora, which I thought was about 15 or 16 miles away. So I decided to take my chance because it's like going to Mora is like all downhill. And, but unfortunately, when I got to the first mile marker, it said that Mora was 28 miles away <laughs> and not the distance I originally thought. So I'm thinking, man, this is going to be a tough one because, I mean, this is a road that nobody travels at night. So if you run out of gas, just, you know, pull over and, you know, camp. And so we, you know, this friend of mine and I were driving, we're driving, getting downhill, getting downhill, and I'm watching, you know, Moore's like 15 miles away, and I'm saying that I got nine miles to go, and then Moore's 10 miles away, and I've got like, you know, four miles to go, and then all of a sudden I see the lights of Mora, and I'm on zero. I'm on zero, and I still got about two miles to go. And I'm looking at the guy that's with me, and are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? Now, my, my guess, uh, the, um, the little uh, window sticker says that my tank holds 29 gallons. And when I, I finally pulled into that station, and I put in 29.2 gallons. I knew it was lying. I knew it was lying. <laughs> Let me pray for you. We're going to get started this morning. We're beginning a new series today. And um, it's going to be a blessing to all of us. So let's just join them for a moment in prayer. Father, we want to just say that we love you today. We bless you. And we thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness in our lives, Lord. And uh, Lord, I think all of us can just say, God, you have been good to us. And um, I want to just speak a blessing over your people right now. Let me just ask this question right now. Any of you uh, that are feeling under the weather right now, just raise your hand. Anybody feeling sick? Want prayer? Right? I mean, just right this minute. You won't stand up if you would, please. I want everybody to stand up. I want my deacons and elders to grab a bottle of oil. And we're going to go. We're going to anoint you with oil. We're going to pray for you. And we're going to do that before we even get started here, okay? Let's get those fast deacons and elders. <laughs> all right. So if you're feeling any kind of under the weather attack at all, keep your hand up or stand up, and we just want to pray for you. The Bible says if there's anybody that's sick, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them lay hands on them. Let them anointing them with oil, and uh, the sick shall recover. You know, we, we serve a Lord that's called the great physician. And uh, he says that in the scripture, the Bible says about Jesus that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means he doesn't change. And so what he was doing 2,000 years ago when he was healing people, he's still healing people today. And so we're just going to pray for you. Once everybody gets anointed with oil, we'll just have a group prayer. I want you guys to just kind of go ahead now. You can just extend your hands out toward those that are standing up. And uh, you guys just keep standing up there. We're going to pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word that says that by your stripes we are healed. And Father, we claim that. We stand on your word this morning. Father, we pray that healing power would just flow into this place right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, it's not because of the good things that we've done or the sins that we've 
haven't committed or did commit, God, it's because of your grace. It's because you love us, Father, that you care for your people, Lord. And, uh, Father, we pray that uh, um, the psalmist says that, Bless the Lord, O my soul. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, that he forgives all my sins and heals all of my diseases. God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's bless the Lord for his goodness. All right, guys, we keep uh, failing to mention this. We have a change ministry, um, change jar, and it's usually at the, the uh, mission center out there, uh, the, the center archway. And so we right now, we, I think we're taking up uh, our collecting change for our children's ministry. We, did it for, uh, we do it for about three months at a time. I think the last time we did it, we did it for Celebrate Recovery. And so it's a good thing for you to do if you're sitting. I mean, you can put your change in the collection plate as it goes by. But just note that all change that goes in the plate will go to one of those ministries. I think we're doing uh, the um, Homeless Ministry, uh, Celebrate Recovery, and the Children's Ministry. And this, uh, the next couple of months, we're working on Children's Ministry. So uh, if you've got any spare change, put it in the, in the jar. So as I mentioned we're starting a new series um, called um, Life's Healing Choices. It's actually uh, based on a book written by uh, Rick Warren and John uh, Patterson, who uh, was, uh, you know, John came out of some really kind of a, a bad situation, drugs and alcohol and broken marriages. And, um, and so we're getting ready to kick off Celebrate Recovery here at the Light in about five weeks, five or six weeks. And... Uh, I know that some of you are excited about it. And, uh, you know, I, immediately, at least my initial thought was, you know, recovery, I, you know, I don't need recovery. I'm not a drug addict. I, you know, used to be. I'm not an alcoholic. I you know, used to drink a lot. You know, we always think about it's so, someone's got some kind of problems like that. But, you know, uh, in this particular program, only one in three people deal with those types of issues. The other issues that they deal with are hurts, You'll hear this phrase a lot, hurts, hang-ups, and habits. If you've got some bad habits in your life that you just haven't been able to overcome, or if you've got, you know, some hurts, somebody I mean, going through a divorce or, or, you know, the loss of a loved one or, you know, uh, just, you know, different type of hurts like Nina was talking about earlier. And it's interesting to me that all of the worship songs seem to be focused, focused around brokenness and the lost and the hurting and the grace of God, the goodness of God. And that's all the things that we're going to be talking about this morning. So, um, you know, uh, there, there's a story about a guy that was uh, trying, on a Saturday afternoon, he was trying to take a nap, and he had a young little boy that was running around the house and wouldn't give him any rest at all, just, you know, just jumping and screaming, and, you know, the guy needed a break. And so he started flipping through a magazine, and he found a picture of the world map, and he cut it out, and then he cut the nations and the continents and, you know, cut it all out, mixed it up like a puzzle. And he told his son to uh, see if he could put it back together. And so he went back to take his nap, thought, you know, it takes his son at least an hour to do this. But in about 10 minutes, the son showed back up and he said, Dad, I'm done. And Dad's like, man, you know, he knew that his son didn't know the nations and the continents. And he's like, how did you do that? How did you do that? He said, well, on the other side was a picture of a man's face. And he says, and once I got the man put together, then the world came together. And, you know, that's true in our lives, too. That once the man is put together, 
Once we allow God to do the work that he wants to do in our life, the world looks a whole lot better. Won't you agree? Amen. All right, so we're going to start, and uh, there are eight, uh, we're, we're call, calling these, um, these uh, principles, or life-changing principles, and there are eight that we're going to study, and they all come from the greatest sermon that Jesus ever did called the Sermon on the Mount. And um, you find that in Matthew chapter 3, 10. I'm going to read through it, and then we're just going to take one or two a week until we kind of, you know, get through this thing. And I don't want to rush it. I, I was going to do, try to do two today, but as I got into this and, um, you know, um, I, I just felt like, you know, We'll just hurry up and finish the Word of God so we can start studying the Word of God someplace else. So why do that? All right? Let's just camp here for a while. Blessed. You know, I know that when we read that Word, and the biggest problem that people have with this passage of Scripture is they try to, try, uh, try to apply it to a, a material or a financial sense, okay? But Jesus is not talking about material things, and he's not talking about financial things in this passage of Scripture. He says, blessed, and another word, another translation for that is happy. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And all of these, it's like a paradox. It's like, you know, really? Seriously? You want me to be happy? Happy or am I? I'm supposed to be happy because I'm poor? I don't be poor in anything. No, I want to be, I want to be, you know, at the top. I want to be the head. I don't want to be the tail. But he says, Blessed or happy are those that are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, or again, happy are those who mourn, uh, for they will be comforted. Blessed or happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they will show mercy or be shown mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's from Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 10. And so there are eight life healing choices. And if you want to go on and live uh, the kind of life that Jesus intended you to live, Guys, I want to tell you something, and you need to hear me and hear me clear this morning. You have got to get past John 3.16. Okay, John 3.16 is where we get saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I can't tell you how many Christians I know that have stopped right there. I, I want to use Jesus as my little fire insurance policy. I don't want to go to hell I want God's blessings in my life, but that's all I want to do. I, I just, I don't want anything more than John 3, 16. But Jesus said, when he said that I have come to give you life, and I've come to give you a better life, he, you know, he meant that you've got to go beyond John 3, 16. And that's what we're going to talk about, you know, that if you really, you know, want a, if you want a, uh, the fullness of the Christian life, here are eight steps that you've got to take. And I don't want to overwhelm you with all of them today, so we're just going to take one at a time. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? What in the world does that mean? Happy are the poor in spirit. As I mentioned, I don't want to be poor in anything. But what it means is, remember, we just got through doing the study in Luke. And in the study of Luke, Jesus was constantly clashing with the religious leaders. And the religious leaders were saying, if you want to get to heaven 
this is what you need to do. And they laid out all these rules and these regulations and all of these laws and said that if you can keep all of these laws, then you, can, you might be able to get into heaven. But we know that Jesus said that, you know, even if you keep all of the law and you offend on even just one point, just think about it. If you never told a lie, if you never stole anything, if you never, you know, used the Lord's name in vain, never had a lustful thought in, in your life, but you committed just one sin. If you were able to do that, none of us are. You know, uh, I, let me just, this may come as a surprise to you, but you're not perfect. You're not, you're broken. And I am too. I mean, we, we're a broken people and we live broken lives. And that's what Jesus, you know, came to do. He came to put us back together again so we would have that fullness of life. And so, um, you know, if you've got this morning, you know, I, I, you know in, in sports, we just got kind of finished the terrible Dallas Cowboy football season. And uh, <laughs> we were so close. And, uh, but, you know, if you're, you're playing and, and, you know, if you watch the teams, if you, you know, I'll watch. Man, by the way, man, that was the greatest Super Bowl I've ever seen in my life. That was an awesome game. But, uh, but if, you watch, if you're watching that and, you know, I, I don't know if you remember, I think it was the one of the Seahawks players, on the, I think it was the very first play of the game, catches an incredible pass and falls and breaks his arm. I mean, first play, you're out of the game. And so, you know, if, you, if you're broken, if you've got a broken leg, you can't expect to compete, you know, the right way in any sport. I don't care if it's running or baseball or track or football. You've got a broken leg, you're out. You're out. And so what Jesus is saying is that, yeah, you know, we, we got saved, but there's still some brokenness. In order for us to be used effectively, there's some brokenness in our lives. And we have got to admit that we can't fix it. You can't fix your brokenness because if you could have, you would have, and you haven't, so you can't. Okay? So we need what, you know, some of the other programs you might call, you might have heard of 12-step programs like that, a higher power. That's, one, that's the second step, second, second thing they teach you. First of all, you've got to admit that you've got a problem. The second thing you need to admit is that you know, that there is a higher power. And I want to just tell you who that higher power is today. He has a name. This is Jesus Christ. Okay? He is the highest of the higher powers. All right. So the first thing that you and I need to do is that we need to admit um, that, you know, the, the, it's called the reality choice. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there shall be the kingdom of God. He says, you know, I admit that I don't have what it takes to change. And, you know, as I mentioned that, you know, guys, I've been through this too. I've been through this where I would do something on a night, and the next day I'd wake up in the morning and say, God, man, I, I cannot believe I did it again. I did the same sin again. And you get in this, like, cycle, and it's uh, cyclical where you, you know, you, you promise yourself you're not going to do it, and then you find that you do it again. And you can just fill in the blank to whatever that might be. Um, you know, all of us have, have our different issues and struggles in life. And we make these promises to ourselves, kind of like the New Year's resolutions, that we're not going to, uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm either going to do this or I'm not going to do that, and we end up not doing it. And the reason that we do that, reason that, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, because the poor in spirit 
come to recognize that they cannot fix their brokenness. They can't make themselves better. They can't heal themselves. They can't bring change into their life. And they keep trying and trying and trying and trying. And then, you know, I'm going to cover some things here. What happens when we keep God out of the equation? And, you know, so when you are blessed in spirit, what you're saying is, God, I give up. I've, tried, I've, I've been this way for 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years, and I'm still the same way. I'm the, still the same way as I was 20 years ago when I said I would never do this again. Today, I'm still the same way. And that's when I come to the place where I admit, God, I give up. I can't do it. I am poor in spirit, and I need someone bigger than me, greater than, not, than I am, to fix the problems that I have in my life. And so... There's another word for that. When, when you think that you can do all of those things yourself and you don't need God's help, it means that you are playing God. You're, you believe that, I, God, I don't need you. I mean, how many of you have seen the bumper sticker that says, I just chuckle when I see it, born right the first time? You know, everybody, anybody ever seen that? You know, we talk about being born again, and there's a bumper sticker that says, born right the first time. I don't need any change. That's the person that is not poor in spirit. The one that is poor in spirit is the one that's saying, man, I can't fix it. I'm broken. I need you, God. I desperately need you in my life. So when we try to play God, this is what happens. We try to take things, um, we try to control our own image. Um, we wear masks. We, uh, we pretend. We, we hide you know, behind the truth. We don't really want people to see us as we really are. We don't want to tell them what's going on in our heart. Remember what the Bible says, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I want to tell you that God knows your heart. He understands your heart. But when you try to pretend and hide and make, you know, make, you know, make it look like everything is fine in your life and, and that you've got it all together, you know, we try to control our image. The next thing that we try to control is other people in our lives. Parents try to control, you know, children. Children try to control parents. Husbands try to control wives and wives' husbands. And we try to manipulate each other. And we do that through either through guilt or shame or rage or we, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we clam up. We won't talk to each other. You know, we, we try to manipulate and control each other. And when you do that, you're trying to play God. We try to control our problems, and we say things like, I can handle it, it's not really a problem. I can quit anytime I want. You guys remember the uh, statement by Will Rogers, he said, quit, he was talking about smoking, and uh, he said that, uh, you know, quitting smoking is the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. I've quit a thousand times. And see, some of you are just like that. I'm going to quit doing this, but you're right back in the same place again. Um, so the more you try to change yourself, it seems like the worse that we get. You know, it's just like the worse that life gets. And then we try to control our pain. Because with this, when you try to play God and try to pretend that you don't need God and don't recognize that you're poor in spirit, you're, you're, you're always trying to, you know, control things. And so we can try to control our pain by either avoiding it or denying it or escaping it. Sometimes we medicate it or we drown it. Or, you know, we get to a place where uh, we can drown our pain by, by working. We become workaholics, and it's just like if I can spend all my time at the office and work all day long, I don't have to come home and, and face the problems. And we don't, you know, we become judgmental and cynical and, you know, uh, 
you know, finger pointers. And uh, it's like, you know, all of these things, you know, uh, happen when we try to, uh, you know, control other people. And, and God's saying, you know, if, you're, if that's happening in your life right now, you're broken and you need to be fixed. And, you know, the great thing is God is saying that I want to fix you. I want to fix you. I'm not, you know, God's saying I, I would never reject you. I think it's in um, Isaiah chapter 49. He says, but Zion has said that God has forsaken me. And Zion has said, you know, that God has forgotten me. And then he says, can a mother forget the child that she has nursed on her breast? And can, can a mother forget the son that she has given birth to? And then he says, yes, she may forget but I will never forget you. And then he goes on and says, see, and I, I, you know, when we talk about the word of God, what are we talking about? Who is the word of God? Jesus, right? Old Testament, it's not not the Father. He's the word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, he is the word of God. But he says, see, I think, you know, I, I, I just, I can imagine Jesus saying this and watching this. He says, see, I have engraven. See, I have engraven you on my hands, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Great scripture. All right. So, if we understand that the root problem is our, our sin when we try to play, play God, um, it was a problem that started in the, in the garden. That's exactly what the devil came and told Adam and Eve. If you want to be like God, you want to be like God? You know, uh, just, you know, I mean, just think about it. I mean, 99% of the, of the, whatever was in the garden, I don't know what was in there, but I, imagine, I know it was beautiful. God created it, right? But 99% of whatever was there, God said, you can have it. You can have it all. There's only one thing that I don't want you to touch. I don't want you to eat. And what they do, I mean, they made a beeline. I mean, as soon as God disappeared, they're like, where's that tree at? You know, let's go find that one. And so, and it was because Satan said to them that, you know, if you, God knows that if you eat of that tree, that you can become like God. And that's what we try to do. We try to shut God out of our life, and we try to become God. Well, here's what happens if you continue to play God. There are four consequences of you trying to play God. The first one is fear. We're afraid. As I mentioned, we're afraid of people finding out what we're really like, that we're fakes, that we're phonies, and that we don't have it all together, and that we hide our sin just like Adam and Eve did. Listen to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It says, And when they heard the sound of God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among them in the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called out to Adam. Notice that Adam and Eve is hiding, but God is looking. I want to tell you that God's still looking today. He's still looking. He's looking for you. And if you're hiding, if you've been hiding, you've been running, I tell you what, God is a gentleman but he will pursue you to the end of the earth. You know, he loves you so much, he will pursue you to the end of the earth. He says, and the Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? Like God didn't know. So he said, 
I heard your voice in the garden. Now listen, and I was afraid. Fear is one of the consequences that we face and deal with when we try to play God. He says, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. The second thing that we deal with, another consequence of trying to play God, is frustration. You know, I don't understand myself at all. Listen to this, the Apostle Paul. And this is, uh, a, uh, I think this is the, um, today's English version, but listen to this translation. Now, this is the great Apostle Paul. We're talking about Paul. We're talking about, man, this is the hero of heroes. This is the, this is the champion of apostles. But listen to what he says. I don't understand myself at all. For what I really want to do, for I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to. Can you relate to that? He says, what I hate. I know perfectly well what I'm doing is wrong, and my bad conscience proves that. But I can't help myself. You get that? You understand that? You can't help yourself. He says, because I'm no longer doing it. It's sin inside of me that is stronger than I am, and it makes me do these evil things. I know that I'm rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't, and when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Now, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it is plain where the trouble is. Sin has me in an evil grasp. Guys, how many of us can relate to that? It's just like, my gosh, man, it's like, you know, Lord, why did I? I mean, how many of you have said that something like this? Like, where do those words come from? Man, I haven't said that in a long time, or I haven't done that in a long time, or I haven't had that thought in a long time, or I thought I overcame that a long, long time ago. And then he goes on to say, say in, uh, this is from Romans chapter 7, um, he says, so you see how it is. My new life, that's being born again, tells me to do right. But my old nature, you see that battle that in Galatians chapter 5 talks about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. They're constantly just like, you know, the spirit is trying to, you know, get the flesh to, to yield. And the flesh is trying to break the spirit down and cause the spirit to, to sin and lead you into places that's going to bring you harm. He says, but my old nature that's still inside me loves to sin. Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Frustration, you can just, I mean, he just, this whole scripture just radiates frustration because I'm trying to play God. But then he goes on to say, who will free me from the slavery of this deadly lower nature? Thank God it has been done by Jesus Christ our Lord. He has set me free. And what he's simply saying, I couldn't do it by myself. I can't do it by myself. And when sin is present there, I need a greater power. I need a higher power to help me in this mess. And I call out on the name of Jesus. That's why the Bible says that there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But will, with the temptation, God will give you a way out. He will, you know, just like Joseph. I mean, when Joseph, when that woman, Potiphar's wife, grabbed his cloak and was holding on to him, and, you know, I mean, he was bound by the cloak, but it's like, man, leave it, run, flee, get away from this, get away from this woman, and he ran. And that's what you and I need to do. When, when sin comes our way, we need to just rebuke it in the name of Jesus and cry out to God and, and get away from it. The fourth thing that we find is in a consequence that when we try to play God is fatigue. 
And playing God will wear you out. It's like, you know, uh, pretending that you've got it all together. I want to just tell you, it takes a lot of, of energy. And it's why you're worn out. It's why you're so tired. It's not why you're so stressed uh, when you come home. And I'm going to just tell you, it's a job description that you will never be able to fulfill. I mean, I don't care. I don't, you can try as hard as you want. But listen, now David said something in Psalm 32 that we can relate to. He says there was a time. Remember, I've got it all together. This is the way I come. Before I know God, i got it all together. Born right the first time. I don't, need, I don't need salvation. I don't need God. I don't need the Bible. I don't need church. I don't need people. I, you know, I'm a self-made man. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. And I, I got it all together. But David said that there was a time, listen to what he says, that I wouldn't admit. And that, that applies to every one of us in this room. There was a time that I wouldn't admit that I was a sinner. But my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. There's that word again. We talked about you know, one of these four things, frustration, fear. He says, all day and night your hand was heavy upon me. This I'm telling you that God will pursue you. He loves you enough to go after you. He said, my strength, this is where this fatigue comes in, my strength to fight these battles myself, my strength to overcome my sin, my strength to be a good person has evaporated like water on a sunny day until until I finally admitted all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide them. And I said to myself, remember that's what Adam and Eve were doing in the garden? They were hiding. He said, and I, 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 I got to be honest with God. And guys, if you can't be honest with God, you can't be honest with anybody. But the second person or second thing that you need to be honest with is somebody else. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. A good friend, a loved one, someone that you can trust, someone that, you can, you know, that cares for you, that loves you. That, you know, doesn't, you know, I mean, cares about where you are, but loves you anyway. That unconditional kind of love where, you know, I mean, you tell me that, you know, you've got a drinking problem or you've got a drug problem or you've got a porn problem or something like that. And I don't turn my back on you and walk away from you. And I'm telling you, you know what? We, together, we can get through this. We can make this. We can make it together. And I'm, I'm going to be here for you. You know, it says that, um, you know, if you see a brother or sister that falls into a sin, it says, um, gently guide them and lead them. And in doing so, that you will save a soul from death. That's our, that's our call. But if I'm going to be a John 3.16 Christian, and that's as far as I'm going to go, see, I'm never going to be able to do the things that God's called me to do. All right, so um, he said, I will confess them to the Lord. I confess them to the Lord, and you forgave me. And all my guilt is gone, and now I say that each believer should confess his own sins to God when he is aware of them while there is time to be forgiven. Judgment will not touch him. And then the fourth thing is failure. That when we try to play God, we try to play God, I mean, no matter how hard we try, we're never going to succeed at it. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, it says, you will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. If you, you will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Confess them, give them up, and then God will show mercy to you. Proverbs 28, 13. So we just looked at there's four consequences of, of um, playing God. Um, you know, being honest about our fears, our frustrations, our fatigues, and our failures. And I want you to just, just take a moment. Just look. I, I want you to look at 
you know, everybody in this room, just take a glance around. Because there's not, as I mentioned earlier, there's not a perfect person in this room. We all have brokenness. We all have struggles. We all have failures. We've all, you know, tried to do these four things. We've all had fears and frustrations and, and, and worn ourselves out trying to play God. And it will not work. It hasn't worked for 2,000 years. The only thing that will help us is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, you know, if we're honest, and that's the first step is admitting that I've got a problem that's larger than I am. But, you know, the Bible says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And what that simply means is that that's why Jesus came. The Bible says that for, for this reason, the Son of Man came. Or the, this, for this reason, the Son of Man was manifested. It simply means that's why he showed up. To, listen to this, to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, the devil's still out there. And I understand he's just alive and doing well. Okay? All you got to do is just pick up the morning paper, listen to the evening news. You know, I mean, evil is present everywhere. Uh, I mean, we look in the Mideast right now, and I mean, it's just pure evil. It is just pure evil. And so we know that uh, the, the Bible says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And the problem is that we don't like to think that the devil is working against us, that I'm saved, I'm set apart, and life is good, I don't have any problems. But Jesus is saying there's still some brokenness there. And let me, let me just share this scripture with you. This is, uh, you know, and I want you to think about this. How, how bad does your pain have to get before you really admit that you have a problem? See, we don't change when we see the light. We don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat, okay? I mean, you know, I mean, when you get that call in the middle of the night or, you know, uh, or you, somebody comes up and, and you know, they, they say those, those words that you never wanted to hear, you know, I don't love you anymore. This marriage isn't working out. I want out. I'm done. I'm quit. I quit. And so we think that we can, you know, fix ourselves by, you know, either medicating ourselves or drowning our problems or, or the other thing that we like to do is just change relationships. We go from one relationship to another relationship to another relationship thinking that's going to fix our problems, and it doesn't. Because every time that you move, you're taking your problems with you. And then, you know, we just don't want to admit or recognize that, you know, instead of being part of the solution, we might just be the problem, okay? And that is what Jesus wants to fix in our life. Now listen to this. This has been... Um, a scripture that I, I probably for, I don't know, as long as I've been a believer, this is a scripture that, boy, just is precious to my heart. I want you to think about it. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Now listen to this. Aren't we supposed to confess our sins to God? Aren't we? Aren't we? And if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, of all unrighteousness? Well, that's true. When I confess my sins to God, he forgives me. But let's, let's read the rest of the scripture. It says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you might be not forgiven, but that you might be healed. 
See, there's a consequence for our sin. And, you know, when we hurt other people, there's something that's just like, you know, it's like David was saying that my, you know, when, when how do you say that? He says that uh, that scripture that we just read out of Psalm 32, he says, um, or excuse me, uh, I think it was in Psalm 22, he says, and then when I confessed all of it, all my guilt, that's right, in verse 5, he says, you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. See, there's a, the consequence for sin is you can be forgiven for God, but you still have some guilt and some shame that kind of go with that. And I don't know about you. I mean, if you've been walking with the Lord for any period of time, I mean, how many of you ever think about the lives that you have, you know, messed up? I'm not talking about just your life. But how many of you think about lives that you have messed up in the past, before you were a Christian? Does that ever come back to haunt you? I know it does me. I mean, I think about people in, in my life that I messed over before I was a believer, and I think, God, where are they now? Are they, are, 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 they, are they on the road, are, they, are, are their lives, are their souls on the road to hell because of something that I've done, something that I said, something that I did, the way that I treated them? You know, have, have I messed over somebody like that? Anybody ever think that besides me? I mean, I know we all do. Well, I want to just tell you that when we confess that, we are forgiven, but, you know, sometimes it might need, you might need to go back. And, uh, you know, it's been years ago, well, I was at a high school party, and uh, it was at, at this huge ranch, and it was, like, vacated. And um, there was, I mean, the guy was, he had so much money, he didn't know what to do with it. But there was a room that was just cluttered with stuff. I mean, valuable stuff. And there was a gold pocket watch that I, I stole. And uh, it was cool. I mean, it was just like uh, Nina was talking about us running out of gas one night. I didn't have any money. But, uh, so, oh, no, we got stuck, I think, that night. And so <laughs> it was either running out of gas or getting stuck. And so um, I went to this uh, tow guy, and I said, look, I don't have any cash, but I got a gold watch. I'll give it to you. Pull me out, and I'll bring you the cash tomorrow. And so he did. So I'm carrying around this stolen pocket watch, and uh, beautiful. It was old, antique, and then I get saved. And then I start thinking, and it, it didn't even work when I got it. I took it to a watchmaker and got it fixed. And, uh, but the more I kept it, man, the more convicted I got. And, uh, and I thought, man, you, you can't keep this. This is stolen. You stole this. And so I put it in a little box and wrote a little note. And, uh, um, I, you know, I, I grew up in a really small town in south of Houston. But uh, put it in a, wrote a little letter, told, told these folks. And, I mean, they were still, they had, you know, lots and lots of money. But I just said, look, I've become a Christian. I stole this, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to forgive me. And um, I can't remember. said something else. But I, about six months later, I went home, and I think everyone in that town knew what had happened. They told, they told. They just said, look, man, this guy has changed. He's not the same person that he used to be. He has changed. Look, you know, this is what he did. And this is the letter that we got back from him. He is a changed person. And that's what God wants to see in our lives, guys. And we can't do that if we try to hide and pretend that everything is okay and that I don't have any problems, right? So when we confess our sins to one another and we pray for one another, that we can be healed. So when I come to you, and I, like I did to them, I look, I, I was a thief. I'm sorry, I stole your watch. Please forgive me. Or if you've got a problem or an issue... 
um, that you don't just bury it. You don't just kind of keep pushing it down inside. But, you know, you get it out. You get it out in the open and uh, share it with someone. Let them know what you're going through. I promise you, people will not, you know, godly people will not have a different opinion of you. They will want to pray for you. The third thing and final thing is here that I need to admit is that I'm powerless. I don't have the power. Um, you know, in the Bible we understand that uh, um, the devil, the, the first sin of the devil was pride. He wanted to be God. He tried to be God. In fact, in, in our Revelation study, remember you guys that you know, know the book and love the book and read the book of Revelation, that John was being escorted through heaven. And, um, you know, all of the angels knew that, uh, you know, that Satan's first great sin was pride. And he wanted the host of heaven to bow down and worship him. And so John is getting this escort through heaven by an angel. And this angel is taking him from station to station and showing him, you know, the, the throne room with God and the throne room and the lamb sitting next to, uh, to God. And, I mean, all of these glories, the seraphim and the, you know, uh, all of the angels. And just, I mean, just, man, I can just imagine just peeking in there and just seeing all these glorious things. But every once in a while, uh, John would just fall down before this angel and start worshiping. And I can imagine that angel just thinking, you know, I mean, this is what got Satan in trouble. Get up, dude, get, get, get up, man. Don't, I hope nobody's looking at this. I don't want to be a part of this. John, you know, John, get up on your feet. I'm a servant just like you are. So it was pride that brought Satan to that place. And it is pride that will keep you from acknowledging your brokenness to God and to one another. Now listen to what God says about the proud. In James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, as our worship team is coming back up and our prayer ministers are going to that wall over there to pray for you if you need prayer after the service. I have two scriptures left. In James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, God opposes the proud. That's exactly what Satan wanted. He wanted Satan wanted the host of heaven to worship him. And God opposes the proud. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit is saying, God, I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. But when I'm proud, it's like, God, I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need your word. I don't need people. I don't need church. I don't need worship. I'm, I'm a self-made man. I can make this on my own. God opposes the proud. But listen, he gives grace. He gives grace. He gives grace to the humble and then he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then, um, I'm not going to make a phone call, um, but I found a scripture this morning that really, really spoke to me. And if it see if it comes back up. Um, now listen, I've got two scriptures I want to share. In Acts 17... Paul and Silas have gone into a town. And um, you remember, uh, I think it was De Demetrius the silversmith. They'd made this shrine to Diana. And uh, it wasn't that Paul and Silas were talking about Diana. They were just talking about Jesus. And uh, there's a big riot. And they capture 
uh, Jason and some of the other people. They drag them in. And it says, listen to what it says. These two men, these two men, Paul and Silas, these two men have turned the world upside down. These two men have turned the world upside down. Now I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Are you turning the world upside down? Or is your world upside down? And if your world is upside down, it's because there's some brokenness that needs to be healed there. And then, I'll, I'll close with the scripture right here. It says, we're talking about God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, God is working in you. Listen to this. God is working in you. And he is giving you the desire. And he is giving you the power to do what pleases him. God is working in you. And he's giving you the desire. And he's giving you the power to do what pleases him. You know how we get that? Come to church every Sunday. Read your Bible a whole lot. Put a lot of money in the plate. Beat yourself up. Hide your sin. It's grace. It's grace. It's just grace. It's just grace. It's free. 